Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome, everybody. This is <laughs> Inside LA Sunday Sit. Um, we're going to be talking today about real magic. Um, I'm going to go over a few different uh, pieces here today. For one, why are we talking about magic? Two, um, the principles of magic, the techniques, and then the order in which we practice. So I'll, I'll go over those. Those are my main points. So um, I'll talk to you a little bit first to kind of tell my story of how I've kind of come full circle with uh, the teaching of today. Um, early on, some of the more occult type practices just kind of came to me in my readings and, and whatnot. Um, I remember when I lived at um, Sunburst, there was a retreat in that was visiting and she said, you know, there's two types of practices. One practice is that you eat the mystery one bite at a time until it fills you up. The other type of practice is that you sit with the mystery until it consumes you. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I really thought about that. I said, oh, you know, this is really cool because before that, and speaking of kind of our topic today, I was in the Rosicrucian order. How many of you know the Rosicrucians? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Rosicrucians or Amwork, an ancient mystical order of the Rosy Cross, they're very, um, they kind of go to the, that first type of path where you, you eat the teaching, eat the mystery one bite at a time until it fills you up. And that's how I kind of thought of more of like the occultish, magical aspects you know you're developing telepathy and clairvoyance and you know astral plane phenomena and all this stuff right and I did that for a little while and and man I was such an ultimate truth guy I was like oh, I just want the truth and I thought I really just want to sit with the mystery until it consumes me this is more like Zogchen or Zen or even Vipassana you're just sitting there and then letting this mystery kind of come to you and you're just really open and awake, right? So then I moved, you know, towards that, just doing this until I went and started living at the Tibetan centers and we got into the Vajrayana practice. And then every sadhana begins with, you know, dear whatever deity, please grant me the cities, right? The cities are the powers. I brought a little thing. So I knew I was going to be using different terms here. City, at the bottom. That's how we spell it. <laughs> the cities. Please grant me the cities. And so these are like the supernatural powers, right? So why? Like, why do we need powers? As Yogananda would say, I gave all my gifts back, like, to God. Like, why do we want those? And this really comes back to intention, for one, and also what 
the intention of what we're building or using these for and then the actual thing of what we're using this for, right? So the cities are for our bodhisattva motivation. So we're developing clairvoyance so we could be of benefit to others. I'll give you an example of, um, I've used this before, Lama Zopa, true story, my friend. He's a monk at the time. He's hanging out with Lama Zopa. Lama Zopa's there in Santa Cruz, and Lama Zopa says, let's go to the ocean right now. So they go to the ocean. Lama Zopa loved the beach anyway, so they thought they were just going to the beach. So he goes up to the pier, and he sits them all down, and he starts going through this naga sadhana. So he's praying to the nagas, which are the nagas are the, spir the spirits of the water. And uh, Lama Zopa was known to go on and on and on, but he says this was crazy. He says we're there for like six to eight hours just doing this sadhana and then we're blessing all the water all around the world all the beings affected by water all the you know beings in the water and all the stuff on and on and on they come back to the house totally exhausted they turn on the news and the tsunami just hit thailand and it was they were like wow we just spent you know all this time trying to subdue that event and, and hopefully they did have some effect on it. But that, that's an example of like Lama Zopa using his clairvoyance. And he said that, you know, they're supposed to hold that stuff at bay, the cities. They're not supposed to reveal the powers. But he said at some point, Lama Zopa would just not even hide it because it was just for, <coughs> for speed, you know. I, how many of you have read Autobiography of a Yogi? right, this spiritual classic. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could fill in the gaps here because it's been a while for me. But I remember this story, it really stuck with me, of Yogananda. He had a really young spiritual aspirant, and a teenager or something like this. <coughs> and he was really, really motivated. And this young kid, his parents wanted to take him on a trip or something like this. And Yogananda said, I. It's ill-advised. Um, I think it's dangerous, actually. And Yogananda was right. The, the child perished. Mm. And Yogananda speaks about scouring the astral planes, trying to find this being, mm -hmm. which I just think is miraculous, mm -hmm. you know? This, but he, he's trying to find him in the astral world, you know? And then he knows that this being is going to manifest, you know, reincarnate in the same area. So he's looking out for him and he's going to meditations and visions, getting visions and whatnot. And he, he finds him mentally in the same town. And he, and he, he, he kind of goes there energetically. He's kind of feeling for him. And he, he knows he's in this neighborhood, then down to the street, then down to the block. And he starts knocking on doors. Mm. And he knocks on one door and a young couple comes to the door and he says, do you have a child about three months old, three, six months old? They're like, yeah. <laughs> that was him. And he found him. <laughs> so you see that, like, the motivation for these, right? For these uh, gifts, if you will. And, and the, um, the application is so important of what we're doing here. So it's really an extension of our uh, bodhisattva vow of wanting to free all beings from suffering. So this is the point 
you know, they say that the, the masters could see the past life, all of the past lifetimes and the future lifetimes and know exactly what that student needs at that exact moment, right? So this is the intention, this is the motivation for it. So some of this kind of, kind of sounds like law of attraction stuff, like how do we manifest things? Um, but we're going to start with the actual building blocks, like exactly how do things manifest in real time. Now, the real magicians, like the real magic of northern India, Tibet, um, there's different levels of magic. There's like the street magic that is illusion. And then there's intermediate magic where they actually do psychic influence. And then there's real magic where it's actually like they're manifesting that phenomenon in real time. So I'll have an example of intermediate magic. So um, Venerable Tenzin Shogi, my teacher, several of you met, she was walking in India and there was a yogi sitting all in white and he had these two huge knives and he was talking to the group in front of him and then all of a sudden he took the knives and just started stabbing himself Aye. like that all over and there was blood just as he had white robes so there's blood everywhere and she turns to her friend who was she was walking with this indian friend he's like what the f <laughs> what is going on and he starts laughing he says it's not real it's not real it's not happening so it was like a really powerful magician because usually what they do is they draw a circle and they tell everyone, come into the circle. And what they're influencing is your mind chitta. So they're, they're actually projecting onto the, 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 the screen of your mind an image. In reality, he's not doing anything. He's just sitting there and meditating. But he's impregnating onto the, uh, the, the chitta of your mind, the mind stuff, a vision. So you think you're seeing it. Now, it happened that she was walking across the street and she still saw it. And that was very powerful. <laughs> very powerful. That's intermediate. <laughs> That's psychic influence. That's intermediate level. And so, but what we're trying to do, the alchemy that we're trying to do is manifest it you know, using these same tools, which we're going to go over the same tools of psychic influence. We're going to in psychically influence ourselves to enlightenment. This is really the basic, uh, basic um, principles of, of Vajrayana Buddhism and a lot of these, and, and even in, in Hindu um, as well, right? So kind of psychic influencing ourselves to realize our ultimate nature. Same principles we're gonna see. So bear with me, I had a really hard time organizing this talk and it's not gonna be just today. We're gonna have to go through it a few because there's so many things that just, they all, they're all interdependent. So we're just gonna take these kind of almost definitions if you will and then they all come together. It's not linear, that's my point. So, First, we're going to talk about the, the principles, these underlying principles, and I'm going to just try to get through, actually through one thing today. If I can get through this one thing, that would be awesome. Um, 
First one, Akasha. So how many of you are familiar with this term, Akasha? Yeah. Kai, you didn't raise your hand. I knew you were. <laughs> so the, the Akasha is kind of like some of the definitions are basic space or whatnot, but it's not really like ultimate like what we call in Tibetan Buddhism, Dharmakai, which is like kind of this ultimate state. Akasha is actually one layer of, of subtlety. And Akasha is the, the, the material, the kind of the building blocks of matter. So the Akasha is um, when, we, when we build, we use creative mind. So this, I'll just bring the other two in here. So we have Akasha. Creative mind and prana. So they say akasha is the feminine, creative mind is the masculine, and prana is the energy. Right. So if we look for manifestation to happen, we have manifest. The akasha is the material, the creative mind, which is imagine imagination and will, is the the vision. Uh, let's say if you're going to manifest a bowl. So we have akasha. In the Akasha, then we have the image of the bowl, creative mind, and then we have pranyama, prana. We have the energy to infuse that image, the right? And the blending of all that creates matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So these these are the the three the three principles of how everything is manifest. And there's a lot of subtleties we're going to get into and a lot of skill sets needed to do that. So let's say, this is take the Fakirs, those are like the the magicians of India. They're trained from six, seven, eight years old. So like that that trick that I was talking about, what they do is they meditate from the time they're tiny, tiny. They're meditating, like one of the first things they meditate on to manifest in mind shit is a rose so they'll meditate in in unbelievable concentration and visualization every single aspect of the rose rose stem rose petals all the gradations to where it's real and then they practice pranyama right so the pranyama exercises this is the energy exercises how many people are familiar with pranyama a little bit kundalini exercises mm-hmm. right so kundalini is a, is a powerful form of pranayama there's lots of different types of pranayama practices so pranayama is the inner is the energy body working with the energy systems the, the chakras and whatnot and this is really the battery of our practice the battery of our will so all of our willpower there's some release of kundalini within our body already right but this is just magnifying it so someone with amazing uh, charisma magnetism people that can manifest things and if you notice that somebody that is highly charged and can manifest a lot on the material plane or even the spiritual plane comes with a ton of energy right they have a ton of energy so this is the fuel so the pranayama is is also trained and so like in tibetan buddhism the tumo is one of the one of the most popular forms of of awakening this prana, right? So 
This concentration will be so incredibly detailed. And then they'll project it. So we have the, visual, the visualization, the projection, and the affirmation. These are the threefold steps of how to apply the principles. right? So applying the principles of kasha and pranayama. Um, and yeah, and creative mind. And then we're using that, like how it's used, yama, I'm sorry, uh, visualization, projection, and affirmation. And again, all these terms kind of go together, I know. Right? So this, th these are like the very, very basic things. Now, um, I want to take a step back and go into... Um, this creative mind principles because I think if we can kind of get this vi visualization it can go a long a long way so we talk about a lot a lot about bodhicitta awakened mind so this word cheetah right so usually it's translated to mind but actually it is the basis of mind Right, so I'm just going to read something and then we're going to go through it. Right? This is too much. Okay, okay, cool. Um, so chitta is a refined and subtle principle rather than a substance akin to matter. This is from Yogi Ramachakra. The chitta is a substance in the sense of that which underlines or, under, or stands under for it is the underlying substance of mind. Chitta may be considered as a higher phase of energy, for it, for it bears the same relation to energy that energy bear, bears to matter. Chitta is to mind what akasha is to matter, or what energy is to force. And again, I'll just reread this. Chitta is to mind what akasha is to matter. So I talked about the akasha... Um, is the building blocks of matter like chitta or chitta is the building blocks to mind thought is a motion in the chitta just as matter is a motion in akasha both manifest themselves in a vortex form as vritti or the whirlpools of waves or vibration of thought in the whirlpools so this term vritti Ritti. This is thought by the the motion of thought in chitta. Called vritti. So when you have a thought in the mind chitta, this kind of whirlpool there. So just to kind of further kind of build this build this image up. And I was kind of just writing this out here to try to make it more digestible. On the Akasha, or we could say in the Akasha, or material for the mat, uh, or the material, is the Chitta. So it's on a, it's on a, a, a layer, right? Also, they refer to Chitta as what kind of mind stuff. It's like the intelligence of mind. This is the basis of mind. Like subtle energy body underlies the human body. Right, so we have this energy body, and then we have, uh, and then we have the, the physical body. Thoughts are movements in the chitta. Now, each particle of matter 
has attached to it a particle of chitta. So like every atom. In the same way, fog is moisture attached to dust particles hanging in the, in the air. You can see that each atom has attached to it this chitta or mind stuff or intelligence. And when these pieces come together of a certain consciousness, it becomes that consciousness like a fish or a bird. Right? So when you have these atoms that are attached to the intelligence, the mind chitta, when it all comes together like this, you see, this is the, the, the mind of like fish consciousness, bird consciousness. This past little piece here is from Orman McGill. Maybe he, you know of him. He's a Western hypnotist who studied a lot in India. When an object is presented to the mind and perceived... The latter is formed into the shape of the object perceived. It is held of the particles of mind stuff, chitta, that these come together, thus forming the different units of consciousness. It is also held that concentration consists in getting more of these particles into one place. If you can convince them to a point, to a point, then you will have absolute unity of consciousness at that point. Because you have concentrated the material of the mind stuff, that's what he's calling it, chitta, in a matter, just as a magnifying glass will focus the sun rays at a point. Thus the mind stuff is bound together at this point of concentration. You have absolute concentration. It is then that the creative mind may go strongly into effect and matter may be created directly by mind. And so, like, the God principle, like, if you want to take it back to ultimate truth, this is how God created the universe, and we're created in God's image, how we can create as well. So this is the very building blocks of it. So I want to kind of take it back to the very building blocks of how things are manifesting. So I drew this little diagram before we started. Let me look at it to make sure it makes sense. <laughs> I think I forgot one thing in here. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I wish I had a Sharpie too. Okay. I have on, on one column here, I have space, just kind of, you could use a dharmaka, I don't want to throw in one extra term, but just say open space, right? We have open space, and then akasha, matter, right? So we talk about space, and then akasha is like the building blocks, and then we have matter, yeah? And then starting, but with akasha, to create this matter, really, within embedded in the Akasha for matter to manifest as something, because this is just the building blocks, but you need an architecture, you need an architect, right? You have to know what are you building and all this stuff, yeah? Then you need a builders and all this, right? For that to happen, so we have Akasha, then you have the mind chitta. So this is um, kind of the intelligence, yeah, of the mind. Prana, which is the energy to make it happen. 
and and that is that develops into mind, which is like this focused idea, and matter matter can be made. So you kind of need a visualization or a creative mind principles, and what are you visualizing, right? So all those aspects, all together, manifest reality from the subtle energies coming into physical form. Yeah. All right. I'm going to send this out too. I'm going to send, send this out. So, okay. So, basic. It's an. It's an okay. Like mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. yeah. You had a question, though, Paula. No, I'm just having all these different like examples that make it more clear to me. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm not a sports person, so I yeah. don't know why this is a <laughs> at all. But yeah. But I, I just know that there's been people, you know, like I think of um, authors or whatever, and where you know they have this, this, um, it's like this knowing that that's what they're going to do is they're going to golf today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they see it, you know, they see like they concentrate and see that that hole in one. Yes. And then they take the club and they focus. My mom would love this. Anyway, and, <laughs> and uh, they focus and then they, they shoot it and it goes into the hole. It's like that essence, that whole process happens all internally before it physically manifests. Is that kind of what you're going to Yeah, for? yeah. And, and like I said, at, at at some level, it really is law of attraction-y, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, you visualize it and, you know, say, say you visualize it, but we're just not visualizing, like, you know, a house and a Ferrari, you know, <laughs> because we're like, that's, that's you know, temporary and all that stuff, and they asked Adi Ashanti about law of attraction, he's like, well, it's not going to bring happiness, does it work? Yeah, but, you know, I use it to get parking spots, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, you know, so that this is one side of it, and this is why it's all about intention, Right and 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 therefore why we use it and I wanted to know like kind of before all of that like why does that work because if we're going to manipulate we need to be manipulating this and kind of know the why and the how other than oh you know if I just do this I get this but I don't know how it all works um, to me that doesn't really work for me I need to know why does it work like from the very basic. And then we could use it for what we want it for. Does that make sense? Other than just saying, oh, yeah, we visualize this and, you know, yeah. I was a little confused when you said about taking it back and then saying, and God created everything, and that's like a Christian idea from what I I know. So Uh that's, those things are compatible, those Christian ideas dovetail with these Buddhist ideas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's just um, as a being creating. So, but is it saying that there is, an ulti- there is an ultimate being who is orchestrating all of the other stuff? That's in, what I'm wondering. Yeah, oh, in, in, not really, because in Buddhism there, there's no beginning. Like, there's, you can't find a beginning, so you can't find even, like, first cause okay you know so if you had first cause it's not linear like that okay um but as far as this goes in in principle of a being using these tools that we all have access to so that was more like an example is that what you're saying yeah when you said that okay uh-huh okay uh-huh. <laughs> yeah 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 okay yeah 
had a very recent experience that, very recent experience, and I'm still trying to figure out what happened to me. That is, was a complete disassembly of myself. Mm -hmm. Any dissolution mm -hmm. of myself. Mm -hmm. well, thank you for mm -hmm. listening to this right now. up this morning, I could feel myself vibrating. And I feel like the tenuousness of my material self is very shaky. And um, I don't know how to integrate it. So the timing of this conversation is very important to me. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful and terrible. Mm -hmm. Terrible. So thank you. That's so generate lots of lots of bodhicitta, lots of love and compassion, right? Because <laughs> on a on a spiritual level, it's beautiful. On a physical level, it's terrifying, and. It's just, it's just the physical body. It's just the reaction of the physical body, right? Because right? it could be obviously scared, and when it gets scared, it goes into fight, fight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. So, so what calms the parasympathetic nervous system down is love and compassion. So all day to day, do love and compassion training, love and compassion, and you're safe, you're home, there's no problem. You know, just over and over again over and over again and you're grounded you're grounded in that too because mm -hmm. there's a there's a part that feels ungroundedness yes that there's no firmer ground than you've ever been on so remember that too like i'm i'm fully here and fully present fully grounded you've never been more grounded you've never been more enveloped in love and compassion right you've never been more whole even though that's that feeling of almost a disintegration but you've never been more whole never been more complete Right, all of those things. So just allowing that to just sink in. You've never been more integrated. All of those things, over and over again. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very grateful for being able to be here today. Mm -hmm. Deeply, deeply grateful. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> it was also very funny. Very, very, very. <laughs> I can tell you there's a lot of humor there, but it was scary. Yes. I was very afraid. So, yeah, before we go on, any, just want to get to, what's that? Yeah, sure. I'm not sure I can really follow that. But, um, <laughs> you know, when you think about magic, a lot of times you think about the ego wanting something to occur. And, um, um, Mr. Gatata Maharaj in the I Am That, there's like just one tiny segment in this huge book that talks about somebody comes to, to him and he's sort of like, a, you know, 
my nephew or something is ill, can you can you cure him? And in like one sentence, Mr. Gatata says, "Yeah, it's done, but it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of it's it's part of the whole. It's all this one from you know from the from the illness to you coming here to asking me to actually have him that come. Yeah. It's not me. It's not a personal thing that I've done." Mm-hmm. And to me, it's a lot more um, sort of palatable if we think of it in that context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're meant to pray for this, or mm-hmm. we're meant to, to mm-hmm. have this occur. Or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, not, and not meant is the wrong word, but mm-hmm. it's part of the dance or something. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that emphasis. Um, that's a, a, a more direct way of talking about what I've been saying about intention um, and bringing that up. Because, yeah, a lot of times we think of this as like, and again, that law of attraction, I'm going to manifest this car or whatever. And this is about enlightenment, about bodhicitta for the benefit of all beings. And, and in that ultimate truth way of recognizing impermanence, interdependence, and, and emptiness. You know, in, that, in that way, coming from that place. Everyone? When we were taught in the uh, Qigong Tai Chi school I studied in, we were supposed to explain us that we begin, when we're teaching a form, we begin in Wu Qi, which is emptiness. And from emptiness, um, when you're just in a complete, empty, relaxed state, the thought of the form will arise. And then the, from the thought of the form, the motion, of the form uh, generates or manifests. And the motion of the form or the... the, Then then you have the cultivation of yin and yang energy that comes from those things. That's specifically the way we're we're taught to explain it. So Mm -hmm. this is a... I'm not... I I got a lot of connection when you were talking about that and I felt... I was wondering where the ideas came from as we were, um, as, as teacher trainees were taught to do it in this way, um, if, if this is where it came from, but mm. it's something that's a, a fairly you know, universal, yeah. applicable um, discourse or, or um, pedagogy. Thank you. One more, yeah. I, I was just thinking about it, and it's. And it's in a way, it sounds like a personal power, but for me, it sounds, feels more like it's a, you're pulling things from energy from around you or from from every from the collective. If you're talking about the guy who went and asked to have his nephew healed or whatever, it's like you're not just a personal thing happening. It's like you're pulling energy from everywhere. Is that yeah, and again, we're coming from a a standpoint where there is no personal thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no. There is no, you know, permanent, fixed, you know, kind of viewpoint of self, and we're doing it like that. Um, you know, as Krishna was alluding to, it's like this whole, and as a whole being, we're for all benefit of all beings. You and, manifest it and, together. Yeah, okay. and even the thought to manifest it, where does that come from? You know, saying, oh, I'm going to do this today. Where does that come from? <laughs> Where's the thought that I'm going to come to Sunday Sit today come from? You know. Um, then how, um, if you want to direct uh, uh, 
intention on one person is that selfish to help somebody. Why would it be selfish? Because it's not all beings. That's one being. One being is all beings. <laughs> so it's okay. So it's all good. Of course it's okay, yeah. <laughs> Myself and all beings. I have like two. I'm sorry to. It's all good. I have two different things that I'm wondering sure. about. Because um, she, she, now she made me think of something else. But um, <laughs> the first thing I was wondering was um, so these like tricks that you're talking like the stabbing yourself trick. Like, what would be the purpose of that? Would it be to reveal the power of what you're talking about? Or what? Nothing. No, no. no there's no exactly. use for that. Um, <laughs> What I was talking about there was the principles that they use, and which I was I want to try to get to one more thing to to this for this talk is because the principles that they used, the influence of the mind shitta, it, right, and the prana and the and the concentration, mm-hmm. we could use that to manifest our enlightened self, right. Mm-hmm. So instead of so instead of visualizing a rose or visualizing that trick, like since they're eight years old, mm-hmm. like in Tantriyana, you visualize yourself as, as an enlightened being. Or Nizadagata said, how did you become enlightened? He says, Ramanas told, him, told me that I was enlightened and I believed him. <laughs> That's how I became enlightened. Mm-hmm. So he literally manifested, I'm enlightened. But, but then why do these guys focus their energy on doing that type of stuff to make money oh. <laughs> <laughs> to make they because they're trained at, at a young age and then they do street magic and okay. that's how they get money okay yeah but i mean you could take those same principles and go towards enlightenment mm-hmm. or you go towards yeah. street magic okay now i just remembered my yeah. other question was about like about intention and saying like um how do you know like whether your intention is coming from ego like you were talking about or like that whole like collective consciousness type of thing you always just do your best mm-hmm. like soaking up I've heard a lot of this it's a very common question like how do I have how do I know I have an altruistic motivation mm-hmm. the simple answer is, answer is we don't mm-hmm. like because we're we're kind of selfish still you know right. like unenlightened mind but um, and and then we do like we just do our best you know we kind of know when we're fooling ourselves. Um, and so we just do our best and, and we don't get paralyzed by the perfection of that. And this is really important. Mm-hmm. Like, don't yeah. get paralyzed with, oh, am I doing this for the right intention? It's like, you just do your Super best, bad. you fill into your heart space and you go for it, mm-hmm. you know, full yeah. on. Okay. You know? It just strikes me as you talk, you know, there's a saying that we've all heard used in a different situation. With great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. That's why in some traditions don't even talk about this. So it's nice yes. that you are addressing it. Yes. But in some traditions, this is a thing that is not discussed because of the concern that people will get off the path right. and become street magicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In mm-hmm. a sense. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, it's always you know the morality of of, of this practice. Um, I think this is always why, like, the teachers rarely, like you said, never teach this, or if you're at a teaching that they're going to be talking about this stuff, 
you know, it's four days of bodhicitta and an hour at the end of this stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the basis of it is so powerfully important because it could take us totally off the path, you know, into egohood, mm-hmm. you know, if we're not, if we're not careful. But um, it's something that I'm totally not worried about with this group. So, <laughs> And again, too, it's like, even so, it's like, even if we mess up, like, we have to do it, though. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's like if you get the keys to the car, you might crash. But if you never got the keys to the car, <laughs> you would never know, like, you know, the joys and, and the adventures and, and all this stuff. So at some point, we need to give ourselves, you know, just trust in our own Buddhahood. And 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 I want to kind of leave with this and... Um, I'm not, we're not done, done, but so as far as kind of what, what are we using this for, the first thing that we use it for, like I mentioned in the beginning, that kind of the order is, is yama, which is a term like Pantanjali, or Pantanjali, depending on your translation of his pronunciation of his name, you know, he, he used these, um, so yama and niyama, and this is like character development, um, they're all, there's different translations for even those words, but I'm using it here as um, I wrote this one down. The yamas and niyamas are, are yoga's ethical guidelines laid out in the first two limbs of Pantanjali's Eightfold Path, meaning reigning in or control, first seen in the Vedas, but popularized by um, Pantanjali's. The first thing that we do, because... Even, let's say we let's say we know what to do, but we have faults. We have faults in procrastination. We have faults in concentration. We have faults in motivation. We have faults in all these things. The yama and niyama principle is to first use these principles on our character development, and this goes along with everything that we're talking about with the ego and the ethics and all this stuff. Is that the first thing that you do? is use your visualization, use your energy, use your concentration, use your affirmation, and visualize yourself how you want to be as a a yogi, as a yogini. So you visualize yourself in in having bodhicitta, right? As these character traits though, right? Having discipline, having generosity, Having kindness, you know, having persistence, having right effort. And you could vi- literally just visualize yourself having these things and you step into yourself, right? And you always say it with a positive so there's no negative then like, um, you, you never want to say like, I'm, I'm going to stop being lazy. You know what I mean? Like you say, I'm a go-getter, I'm a doer, I'm, I'm persistent. You know, I follow through. I have great follow through. I have great clarity of vision. I know what I want. You know, all these things. And so the first step to this, before we go into visualizing anything else, is just the qualities of our own human beingness and the qualities that are going to allow us to um, attain this bodhisattva realization. Yeah. 
So I have a great concentration, for example. A lot of people say, oh, I can't visualize. I have great, visual I have great visualization powers, you know, <laughs> those things, but really, right? Because that's what we're manifesting, right, first, is this, this yama. So uh, one of the techniques that you could do, and they do this on long retreat that I've heard as well, is you just, you write down all of your strengths and all of your weaknesses. And then you create your own. We did it a couple weeks ago. We had create your own sadhana, remember? Mm -hmm. You create a sadhana. You write down all your strengths. And you could you can go on, online and find, there's like character traits like courage, um, yeah, persistence, um, all, all these different things. You can find lists of character traits. And you just mark the ones that you need help with and and ones, you know, your, your strengths. And you take all the ones that, that are on the weaker side and you write a positive affirmation of that, right? And then you use these tools to build that up and project that. Yeah? Mm -hmm. That's stage one. We're kind of in there. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to talk. I'm pretty good on time. I'm just going to say a few. Uh, I don't know. Any other questions? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what's again? I, maybe this is petty, but it's, to me, it's not. A, it's it's interesting to me. It's like, what's the difference between may I or may you, and I am? Mm. Yeah, big difference. So like, when we're using this. Um, in loving kindness practice, we were staying congruent. There's more of the kind of the mindfulness side of things. We're staying congruent with, with staying with what is, right? So if you say, "May you be healthy," and somebody's not healthy, then that there's dissonance there, right? Mm -hmm. And when we say "May I," we're we're sticking really with just the intention. Intention. So the "May I" is used a lot in loving kindness and meta practice, right? Mm -hmm. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be at ease. May you be healthy. You know. So, it's really easy. There's no dissonance there. There's no dissonance. Mm -hmm. This is totally different. We're building something new. So this is away from. This is really more tearing down, building up. You know, this is kind of, um, <coughs> and, you know, they work together. Like, you know, like Suzuki Roshi said, like, you're perfect just the way you are, and you have work to do, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So this is, like, loving ourselves completely, loving our bodies, minds, and everything, just as they are today in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to work to be healthier, and I'm going to work to be better. And so this is the work to be better part, you know? This okay. is, like... Hey, I got some stuff I really like to change, and I'm gonna, you know, be more oof, in it. I am like that. You know? And again, the major shift is that thinking that we're we're not deluded beings. This is the main thing that we're that all the Buddhas and whether Hindu Buddhas, you know, Christ, Krishna, whatever, is that looking at ourselves as non-enlightened. That's our main. Um, thing that we're overthrowing, the main concept that we're overthrowing. Yeah.
I just had like a big sort of aha moment about like how that connects to no self, right? So if I don't really have a self, then I don't really have faults. I don't have these permanent faults that are attached to me. Mm. You know, that I, everything's available. Yeah, absolutely. And we have, we have a self, but it's not how we think it is. We don't want to... Um, but yeah, you're right. I just like to reiterate because some people uh, in that it's such a fine thing that we're saying we don't have a permanent fixed self that is limited in that way. So it's exactly what you're saying is that, yeah, we're, we're totally free swimming in infinite potentiality. Like we could, we could be anything we want. I think it's interesting how Buddha's like, okay, there, there's like non-self and all this stuff. And he's like, now do meta for yourself. say may i be happy you know may i be whatever you know because you know that there's that interplay and so like is that talking about like absolute reality versus relative reality exactly and i love how they're both reality (laughs) you know absolutely 100 percent this is totally absolutely real (laughs) so is ultimate reality You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.